When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest in sports news, fantasy analysis, and opinions. Don't forget the hot takes. Can't have a sports show without hot takes these days. What about hot cakes, though? Mm, I want some hot cakes. Now, here's your host, ready to jump into the thick of things, Dwayne Callender. Hello, everyone. So happy to be back on the air again. I want to give a shout out to all the folks who were asking about when I was coming back. The well wishes for those asking about uh, my recovery from my knee surgery. So, do thank you all uh, for the support over the timeout. But uh, quick, uh, quick nod to all the Mets fans out there on Happy Bobby Bonilla Day. Uh, with this being July first. We're going to split up the show uh, just because there's so much to cover that there's no way I'm going to get to it all. Uh, and first uh, first show back, definitely not going to rush things either, uh, trying to uh, squeeze everything into one show. So, yeah, let's do a little bit of levity here because it's going to get very depressing uh, coming up shortly for Knicks fans uh, when I basically do my victory lap, I told you so. Uh, so that's coming up uh, before you uh, before you know it. But uh, yeah, a little bit more background history on Bobby Bonilla Day, uh, explaining why the hell the Mets still continue to be an annual punchline year after year after year for another uh, give or take sixteen years uh, uh, by my count. Uh, on July 1 every year. So, for those of you who do not remember Bobby Bonilla, uh, Bobby Bonilla has not played a professional baseball game in 18 years. And you may be saying, did the Mets lose some kind of injury settlement case? What is the significance of Bobby Bonilla Day? Uh, Basically, going back to... 1999, yes, yes, this is before, this is the last millennia, (laughs) last millennium we're going back to here, folks. The Mets were a playoff team, and because the Wilpons, the owners of the Mets, are such cheapskates, they were trying to scrounge up more funds to lock down other players, uh, such as Edgardo Alfonso, uh, for their presumed extensive playoff run which lasted all of one more year after this but that's a whole nother story but uh you know at least they got to the world series uh but uh, that's a story for another day and frankly don't really care this is about making fun of the mets and i needed a joke here because i need another punchline besides the knicks uh anyway the mets released him after the 1999 season and owed him 5.9 million Okay, just pay off the $5.9 million, like any normal franchise would and just eat the sunk cost. 
No. What the Mets decided to do, and this is <laughs> this is what makes the Mets the Mets, and just uh, oh god, just just an abundance of sitcom worthy material. If anyone were to release a sitcom, which I believe I probably would have in an alternative reality, just work for the Mets and just pitch it as a uh, long running NBC sitcom, but the Mets. Instead of just paying the $5.9 million, they agreed with Bonilla's uh, agent, Dennis Gilbert, who represented a number of players, such as Barry Bonds uh, back in the mid-90s uh, uh, when he was with the uh, San Francisco Giants, Brett Saberhagen. Like, he, he, he was a big-time agent back in the 90s. Uh, uh, Gilbert basically made the case for deferred compensation. And... What essentially that uh, amounted to was the Mets, instead of having to pay off the $5.9 million in 1999, they would defer compensation for 12 years at a fixed guaranteed interest rate of 8%. Now, at the time, this was d- during a stock market bubble, as well as on top of the fact that the Wilpons were heavily invested with Bernie Madoff and his Ponzi scheme, which this also may be one of the few reasons why people actually bought the Wilpon story that they had no idea what Madoff was doing, because only someone who had no legitimate understanding of how investments work would ever agree to deferring compensation at that high of an interest rate. So because of the guaranteed 8% interest rate attached to the deal... That $5.9 million deferred because Bonilla made a good $46 million over his career, so he didn't need the money up front anyway. Uh, the deferred compensation package basically turned that $5.9 million into $29.8 million from the span of uh, <clears throat> 2011 to 2035. Because the Mets would defer compensation uh, for that many years, given that they would have to write a check for $1.19 million every year uh, from July 1, 2011, all the way until 2035. Again, the Mets only had to pay $5.9 million. In order to defer the compensation and agree to that ridiculous interest rate, this is how they actually uh, uh, thought this was a better option. So, every year, the media gets ready for this story because the Mets are a punchline. And will continue to be a punchline because the Mets could just as easily pay off the remainder of this money so that they don't have this nonsense to deal with year after year if Bonilla agreed to it. But hey, Bonilla's living a good life. He's, he's just taking the $1.9 million. It's like, you don't actually have to worry about the tax implications, uh, uh, realistically, when you, when the, I mean, yes, it's a million dollar check, so I, I'm not acting as though uh, you, you aren't going to take a significant tax penalty on that, but, again, the, net, uh, the Mets had so many opportunities to make this story go, go away over the years, because, you know, it comes up every year now where the media gets ready on July 1 to talk about this. And the Mets, you know, 
this is why they're the Mets. But I have to, I have to say that you know, it is will go down as one of the all time greatest retirement packages that will you will ever see in sports because no professional team would ever sign themselves up for the ridicule the Mets have received over this deal for as long as they live, as the Wilpons do. And, you know, <laughs> again, 8% interest. Uh, God, what a what an agent Gilbert was. Oh, what a deal. So, all told, uh, Gilbert estimates that despite the fact that Bonilla's career earnings were worth $46 million, between Bonilla's deal with the because Bonilla had an original stint with the Mets from 92 to 96 uh, before he was traded to the Orioles. Uh, uh, so uh, Gilbert estimates, because they had deferred compensation as part of that deal too, uh, he estimates that Bonilla, with deferred compensation, is expected to make over $50 million between those two contracts by the time he reaches age 65. That's compounding interest, folks. <laughs> Oh man, I gotta love it. Got to love it. So let, let you know after that little bit of levity, let's talk about something depressing now. Uh, and for the the Mets fans who are also Knicks fans, uh, yeah, sorry, but you know at least your sacrifice allows for the rest of us in our misery with the Knicks to press on and persevere. So let's talk about the Knicks. Because we're going to talk about NBA free agency in general uh, in part two of the podcast. Because decision Kawhi has not been made yet. So until Kawhi makes his decision uh, between Los Angeles and going back to Toronto. Notice how I did not even mention the Knicks. The Knicks were in no way, shape, or form not even close to landing any major free agent. But yes, let's talk about the Knicks. A Knicks franchise, which, by the way, had been promising a major summer since March. James Dolan went on the radio attacking multiple outlets. I talked about this. Multiple outlets uh, threatening that uh, they, the media was trying to sabotage his franchise from having the biggest summer in the franchise's history, and that no one was going to be able to delay the inevitable. That is coming from James Dolan. To go from where the Knicks were proudly boasting the potential of putting together a number one draft pick with Zion Williamson, having the flexibility of trading that pick if they wanted to, to get Anthony Davis... To them bringing in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, if they wanted to, at their leisure, uh, like as a throw-in piece. Yeah, yeah, maybe we could bring in Kyrie too. To end up in a situation where not only do you not get the number one pick, you get the number three pick. To the ridicule of the entire internet. But everyone knew that the Knicks only had a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. So, again, I kept saying this. There was no guarantee about the number one pick. Even when you're trading Kristaps Porzingis, 
knowing that you're only clearing cap space and that you would need to be able to close a deal to make this all pan out, people still believed in the BS. Madison Square Garden was feeding the entire populace of New York about how this summer was going to go down. You don't get Zaya. Get R.J. Barrett, who, as talented as he is, my estimation of him is that he ha- still has the highest potential of being a bust out of the top three picks between Zion, John Morant, and Barrett. Barrett has the most potential of being Rudy Gay. Not that Rudy Gay is a bad player or anything. Rudy Gay made a lot of money over his NBA career. No one will ever remember Rudy Gay as being an all-time great. He can be he can be a very good player. But again, when you have a potential of a Zion Williamson who everyone thinks has the potential of being the next greatest thing, when you have John Morant come out of nowhere showing signs of being possibly the best point guard prospect, pure point guard uh, point guard prospect since Chris Paul. You start to wonder what else can go wrong for the Knicks? And my prediction for this team, and I was steadfast in this, and why the Porzingis trade was a f- complete and utter failure of management of handling talent that was going to burn the t- franchise more than helping it. Because everyone kept saying, Dwayne, you're making a mistake. You're never going to win with Porzingis. You have to trade him to clear the cap space. My steadfast response to this remains the fact that it required you to show as an organization that you had evolved to the status that you know what you're doing and can convince people that you know what you're doing. It's one thing to show that you're making strides and say that you're being competent. It's a whole other thing to get people to buy in to the fact that you know what you're doing. The simple fact of the matter is that the Knicks needed to show Porzingis why it was in his best interest to stay in New York. They had let that relationship deteriorate to such a point that he's demanding out. Well, he's injured, by the way. He's injured and demanding out. Players don't demand out when they're injured because they don't have leverage. But when you are so antagonized by a franchise, knowing that they're incompetent, knowing that there is no way that if you stay with them, that they will be able to maintain your best interests and that your career could be flashing before your eyes, Porzingis saw the writing on the wall and got out ahead of it. Porzingis got his max contract down in Dallas. Tax-free, by the way. He is laughing and smoking a blunt, probably, with Mark Cuban. Porzingis got over on the Knicks. No one picked up on that uh, at the time. I kept saying that this could easily blow up on the Knicks. But again... This should have been a straightforward layup. Kyrie is a New York guy. He grew up in New Jersey, 
but realistically, he is a New York guy. His godfather, Rod Strickland, played for the Knicks. There are enough connections to the Knicks that you could have convinced Kyrie to come to New York instead of play for Brooklyn. What happens instead? The Knicks focus all the attention on Durant. Okay, that's the game plan. It's all in on Durant. That's what the Knicks made it clear from the outset. Over Kawhi, over everyone else, Durant's a prospect. And no one can fault them for that because that's the game plan everyone had. Then game five of the NBA Finals happens when I thought, from all accounts, KD was so heavily uh, injured with uh, the calf injury that there's no way he's coming back because he would have come back earlier in the Finals. He gets talked into coming back. Obviously, playing 12 out of the first 14 minutes probably didn't do him any favors. But truth be told, if his uh, calf and Achilles were in that much of a potential, and I don't believe Golden State's doctors at all when they say they didn't think that was a possibility because anytime you have a calf injury, there's a potential that the Achilles can be impacted as well because of the muscles being attached to each other. Like, no doctor... Uh, could actually uh, say that there's no potential of of, of a rupture happening. Uh, like the, the, there uh, there were multiple injuries to athletes over the years that you can point to. That the first thing that goes is the calf, then the Achilles. So to say that you had no idea is preposterous. But what's done is done. Once KD got hurt, there needed to be multiple options. On the table explaining that KD is going to be rehabbing year one. What's the game plan to getting KD in the garden? And what are you going to build around? Because you don't have the number one pick. You don't have... uh, You you don't seem to have an avenue to get Anthony Davis. Because Anthony Davis indicated that he wanted to go play with LeBron out in Los Angeles. What is your game plan? Who are you going to bring in that's going to at least be in the ear of Durant to get him to come. The Knicks already had one of the guys on the roster in DeAndre Jordan. Close close friend with uh, Kevin Durant. What's the problem with that? From all accounts, it seems like that the Knicks kind of treated DeAndre Jordan as an afterthought. DeAndre Jordan, he hasn't said it publicly, but the rumor is that DeAndre was actively telling Durant and Kyrie, don't bother coming here. Let's all go to Brooklyn instead. So instead of actually being able to use an asset, Brooklyn was actually able to weaponize your own player against you and giving uh, giving him inside info. So when you have things like this happening, when you have guys like Enos Cantor, who was bleeding heart for the Knicks, his entire time with the Knicks uh, this year and last year, when you have him basically being shoved out the door, not being allowed to even try to play, the Knicks basically kicked him to the curb. And then Enos Kanter is producing in the playoffs for Portland and talking about how bad it was trying to play for a Knicks franchise that he was trying to give his all to and that they couldn't give two you-know-whats about him. 
You look like a trash organization. When you have a rookie like Porzingis, well, not a rookie, but a a guy on his rookie deal like Porzingis, who could be getting more money from the max if he stays with his team, asking out because even though he's hurt, he knows long-term. I see what these clouds are doing. They don't know what they're doing. Even with Phil Jackson out the door, Steve Mills doesn't know what he's doing. I don't trust these people. I need to get out of here. I need to go to a franchise anywhere but here. He goes out the door. So what are you selling? You are selling the garden itself. But who owns the garden? James Dolan. In a league where NBA players have gone out of their way, and like we haven't even touched on, because of all the nonsense that happened in the NBA Finals, the fact that you had a Warriors minority owner shove Kyle Lowry in the middle of an NBA Finals game, and the NBA do their best to sweep it under the rug by just banning the guy for a year uh, from NBA games. To be honest, the guy should have been forced to sell his shares of a basketball team. He should have been forced to sell out completely. I mean, it's one thing even for a drunk fan to do that, because that fan should be banned for life. For an owner, and we're going to get into that in a bit, but for someone who is a team representative, you represent the league as a whole. For that to happen, it's inexcusable. So you have a climate right now. A very political climate in the sports world. Wherein players feel as though owners treat them like pieces of disposable meat. You have one of the most egregious examples of this in James Dolan. An unabashed Donald Trump supporter. And I'm not going into politics here. I'm just saying that is his affiliation. It doesn't matter what uh, uh, denomination of uh, politics you play in this climate of sports having a strong stance one way or the other can be very detrimental in terms of sponsorship and other aspects James Dolan doesn't care about that because he makes money regardless if the Knicks are good or not which is part of the problem so when players talk about owners having a mentality of akin to slave owners I think it's a bit melodramatic but James Dolan has shown a repeated history of just being abusive as an owner and dismissive attitude towards players fans media James Dolan had Charles Oakley escorted and arrested out of MSG and don't think that didn't play on players' minds, because the players spoke out very strongly against uh, Dolan after that fiasco. James Dolan, who bans the Daily News from covering R.J. Barrett's opening press conference, and then try and MSG tries to explain that they didn't understand that uh, the rules that they could limit it only to uh, invitations. And paid a $50,000 fine. Which again, not nearly enough money. Freedom of the press is a very important thing. Again, we're in a very political environment right now in sports. Where some people feel as though they can do whatever they want. And 
at this time, at this critical juncture, for the Knicks, James Dolan continues to be a lightning rod for negative publicity. No one wants to come here, and in large part, because of him. Because as incompetent as the Knicks front office looks at times, from mishandling players, and again, not understanding the word, the meaning of the word optics. Because when you have a decision where Kevin Durant knowingly wants to come to the Knicks and it gets talked out of it by multiple people where he has stated on the record that no one's going to sway him this time, basically said, I'm going to listen to my friends and I'm going to go to Brooklyn instead, even though I wanted to come to the Knicks and have all the media uh, attention. I'm going to listen to my friends and get the support that I didn't get out in Golden State because Golden State pressured me every step of the way, and now I have a ruptured Achilles. I will not take a meeting with the New York Knicks. A New York Knicks team and franchise that has been preparing for Kevin Durant to come for the past 18 months. 18 months. This was the game plan. And you don't get a single meeting. Do you know how embarrassing that looks? But instead of, hey, we got to have a plan B, the Knicks somehow managed to even fail at the low bar of expectations I set for them. Because I always felt that there was a chance that KD doesn't come. So I figured plan B. You probably go look at guys like Kemba Walker and Tobias Harris, local guys. Not got not that we're gonna win. The whole point is to at least put together an identity that New York is a place to come back to and build a winning culture again. Because the Knicks have been an utter joke for the past fifteen years. Even for the blip of a radar, Carmelo Anthony was. His tenure with the Knicks was shotgunned to try to get one playoff run. And guess what? They didn't even get to the finals. And the team went in the tank because they hot-shotted every step of the way with Carmelo. After he gutted the team because he wanted to come and get his money too from Denver. Another story for another day. So... When there's this level of dysfunction going on, what else is there to do but to start looking within? What do the Knicks do? The Knicks, basically, failing to understand optics, had no plan B for a major free agent. The Knicks basically said, we're going to punt the next two years and sign guys to the minimum. So, when the story goes down with Kevin Durant joining Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan in Brooklyn, the Knicks release a press release saying that, uh, uh, well, not a, uh, well, it was before their press release. They leak a story to Ramona Shelburne of ESPN stating that James Dolan was not comfortable offering the max money to Kevin Durant. 
Here's the thing about that. They knew they weren't getting the meeting with Durant. They basically knew they were done. And they could say whatever they want. But in the twisted world that the Knicks occupy, it was easier for them to say, we didn't feel comfortable with the medical report and looking like jackasses. Not that they view themselves as jackasses, they view themselves as prudent businessmen. Because we've dealt with free agents who have had medical issues in the past with Antonio McDice, Amari Stoudemire. Even though when that ha- when those things happened, everyone else in the league was looking at the Knicks saying, wow, that's a desperate move. You had the Warriors willing to offer Kevin Durant $250 million, the complete max that he could have gotten. And guess what? With the luxury tax penalties that the Warriors were facing, the true cost of Kevin Durant's contract was $600 million over the course of that contract. Again, not 250 the entire cost of the contract. Once you factor in the luxury tax that they were going to have to pay year over year over year because of luxury tax, because the luxury tax multiplies the number of years you are in the luxury tax. This is part of the reason why the New York Yankees started getting out of being in the luxury tax business in baseball. Because of how expensive it gets. The Warriors didn't give a rat's ass about that because they're moving into a new arena that basically you have to sell a kidney and possibly more body parts, to be honest, to get season tickets for. So the Warriors were selling an experience and Kevin Durant was going to be part of that experience. That was the game plan for the Warriors. Try to keep KD, even if it costs you $600 because you're going to make that money back tenfold. But instead, the Knicks looked like the guy at the, the table was scared money. The guy at the poker table who is, who is just losing out on the big blind every time, but won't go all in. Even though there are multiple people playing uh, uh, playing hands, the Knicks have a pair. Too afraid to actually play it. And are just getting eaten up by everybody else at the table. That's what the Knicks look like. The Knicks looked completely and utterly soft. So what did the Knicks do? No plan B. Didn't have another free agent lined up. N- didn't take any meetings with anyone else. Because they had just prepped for Kevin Durant and figured he was going to show up. And that, you know, they're going to figure out the roster after Kevin Durant comes. This is why the Knicks are where they are. They never had a true game plan in mind. And they got burned for it. Because guess what? Brooklyn had a game plan. They had low odds of success. This is an incredible underdog story. As much as you could call an underdog that has Jay-Z backing them with Rock Nation. And don't and don't underestimate the fact that Jay-Z selling out his ownership stake of the Nets, but still having a close relationship with the Nets did not be, become a deciding factor. Because Rock Nation representatives can reach out to NBA players. The fact of the matter is, Brooklyn has developed an experience 
that players gravitate towards. So you get the New York experience without actually having to work for James Dolan, which should be the sales pitch of every meeting. And until James Dolan can figure out a way of selling an experience at the Garden that does not involve him, the Knicks will continue to have that problem. I'll give you another case in point. The New York Rangers. The New York Rangers don't have this problem in hockey. You know why? Because the Rangers were completely irrelevant for 18 months. After years of making the playoffs, the Rangers had hit the wall, had to rebuild, and truth be told, I didn't think the Rangers would be able to rebuild this quickly. But basketball is a completely different beast than hockey. When the Rangers were going through their rebuild, it was going to take draft picks. They got that. They traded a number of their top players, fan favorites. They wouldn't trade Lundqvist, even though many fans such as myself were actually calling for it at, at this point. It would have made far more sense to deal him. But they kept him. The Rangers had to hit on some of these draft picks, which they did. So, so uh, they, they're, they're actually, they're actually show, they're showing promise. But the Rangers had to establish a culture that we're not going to be losers for long. And they did that. The Knicks basically went out of their way to tank the entire season while pissing off all their veterans in the process. If they had just even been able to get some Garner goodwill, you do realize that the Knicks had no one on their roster that was actively campaigning for free agents. Do you know how embarrassing that is? Like, D'Angelo Russell on the Nets was campaigning for Kyrie for over a month. D'Angelo Russell just got traded to the Warriors. But he got his money. He got his money and he's going off to the Warriors now. It worked out well for D'Angelo Russell. But guess what? You don't get that buy-in unless the organization is saying, hey, can you go help us uh, recruit these guys? Sure. You think the Knicks had that goodwill with their players? Hell no. Why do you think DeAndre DeAndre Jordan's in Brooklyn right now? Because he was there. He knows what MSG's like. So, when folks are asking me why the Knicks are so terrible, you gotta look in the mirror sometimes. And the truth of the matter is, New York fans are part of the problem. For too many years, Knicks fans have bailed out James Dolan. And I saw it again Sunday night. When the Knicks are signing one good deal, the Knicks signed one good deal out of all this being Julius Randle. Three years, uh, averaging $21 million per year, so a $63 million contract for three years. That's good value for Julius Randle. But when you're signing the likes of Bobby Portis and Taj Gibson, you automatically depreciate value because all three of those guys play the power forward position. You can sign two of those guys. You can't sign all three. You look like a clown. When you sign a guy like Reggie Bullock, when you already have a shoot first point guard in Dennis Smith Jr., they don't, it, 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 it doesn't compute. It doesn't compute. 
Reggie Bullock cannot teach Dennis Smith Jr. how to be a better point guard. It doesn't make sense. Wayne Ellington, okay, makes sense. He's, he could shoot. But then you bring in Alfred Payton. Again, shoot first point guard. I The signings that the Knicks make are befuddling to say the least. And again, reeks of incompetence. Because you bring in duplicates that cannot help improve the roster. I keep seeing Knicks fans on Twitter, and some of them are not paid Russian bots by MSG. Some of these are actual people with ill-informed opinions about how to develop a team. Because they're like, well, we're signing a bunch of veterans to help build out the young players. How the bleep is that going to happen when the veterans don't know any better than some of these rookies do? Because the veterans make some of the same mistakes the rookies are making. Reggie Bullock never developed into a proper point guard. Detroit gave him his money and realized almost immediately that it was a mistake because he never learned the principles of running the position. If anyone was going to be signed to be a point guard for the Knicks, it would have been Darren Collison. That would have made made a great signing. Although Collison you would have had to overpay for because... He could have been playing for any number of playoff teams. But, of course, with the Knicks' luck, Darren Collison abruptly decides to retire from the NBA to become a Jehovah's Witness uh, representative. How does that happen? These are the things. Even a guy like George Hill, who's won an NBA championship, would have been a cheap option to bring, to steal from Milwaukee, to have coach some of these players and how to run a point guard position. Quality veterans that can just do a job. It said we bring in a bunch of two-year contracts of players who can't do the job that you want, which is coach young players. You know, again, the Knicks basically hit a reset button and the fans are signing off on it saying, well, Katie was just going to be stealing money from us anyway, and you don't know Katie's going to be able to come back to a full 100%. Yes, Captain Obvious, there's always a possibility that Katie's not coming back to be 100% of what he was. But the point is to become relevant again. And even if you had to swallow Kyrie, if that were his terms and conditions, you end up having to do it. Well, it doesn't mean we're going to win a title. No kidding, Sherlock, even if you did uh, sign Kevin Durant. I put the odds of winning a title with Kevin Durant still under 20%. But you do it anyway. You don't get to stack the deck completely in your favor. Only rare opportunities does that happen. The Warriors don't come around every uh, so often. The Heat don't come around every so often. The idea of super teams, that was a foreign concept. Because, again, how many players are willing to sacrifice that much money on the table? Those teams were able to do it because the players were willing to sacrifice that much money. That time is probably coming to an end. Soon. But, you know, the fact that I hear fans justifying, rationalizing what the New York Knicks have done makes my blood boil. Because... Clearly, no one has learned anything about 
why the Knicks have failed to such a degree. If this is how folks are going to look at the situation. Folks, you need to open your eyes and understand why the Knicks are so incompetent at what they do. And part of it is you. New York basketball fan, you're part of the problem too. Alright, that does it for part one. We're going to get into part two where I dive into the whole ramifications of some of these NBA deals. Ah, oh, it feels good to be back on the air, but man, there there is a whole lot more to unpack about how the NBA is going to uh, take form and shape. Uh, plus, we got to talk about hockey too, so uh, more to come about the one MSG franchise that actually got it right. Because, again, there's one side of the house that doesn't know what it's doing, and another side of the house that actually does know what it's doing. And it worked for the same guy. It's unbelievable how that worked out. But, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, NHL free agency as well. Uh, But more to come on the NBA. This is the Fancy Throwdown podcast. Dwayne Calder signing off and... You know, I, I, I'm going to try to find some joy somewhere outside of just me laughing maniacally Sunday night because of all the terrible signings the Knicks were making, as well as the signings I was uh, I was uh, snickering at this morning, just watching how incompetent my franchise is. Uh, that's all for now, folks. Take it easy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.